that is what we are here to talk about tonight, crossing over. And I don't know about you, but I want my heart to burn with a pure and holy passion for the things that God has in my life. What about you? What about you? That's right. I hope you are ready for God to move you out of the places that of mediocrity that have settled into your soul, away from the sleepiness that's probably worked its way into your being and beyond your day-to-day -day existence into the more that God has for us. I tell you, I have been, I am, and I want to be. We are so glad you are here together with us at Women's BBS 2010. Yeah. We have really been planning and preparing for tonight since last October, and so it is so exciting to see all of you coming in the doors and just ready and just eager to see what God is going to do in your life. You know, last fall, we started asking the question, what if? God, what if we could have women's VBS in the Ferguson Center? We could seat so many more women, and what a rally party that we could have here on this peninsula for the things that you want to do in our lives, because sometimes... I don't know about you, but I need a rally party <laughs> to get me to cross over. And I want you to know that our ministry team at Established Footsteps has been praying and preparing that God would do and make a rally party this week here for us in our lives. You know, all of this crossing over talk, and we have been using that word a lot, <laughs> and all of it has made me think back to a time when I was in high school, when I literally had to cross the scariest bridge of my life, and it took a rally effort to get me to do it. And it all happened on a camping trip uh, with my youth group. And if you know me, you know I don't like camping anyway, so that, that didn't get it off to a really good start. But there was this bridge, and it was a rope bridge, kind of like a big rope in the middle and then little ones off to the side, kind of like you see here in this picture. And isn't that a great picture? She's even wearing pink. We just thought, Lord, you just helped us find a good picture. Because I didn't even have a picture of this thing from when this, when this situation had happened. But what you can't really see in this picture is the slimy swamp that was beneath the bridge that I, that I was going to have to cross. And if you know me at all, you know that I am a girly girl. I don't like slimy swamps. Because usually things are underneath slimy swamps. And those would be bugs and snakes and all that kind of stuff that I don't really care for. Do I have any other girly girl sisters out there? I knew you would be my sisters. Yes, I don't do stuff like that. And let me tell you, I know when you're looking back on things, you remember it, you know, a little bit more, you know, exaggerated. But to me, it seemed like the green stuff on the top of that swamp was, you know, about this thick. But anyhow, you know, we were going to... Um, we were going to go over this thing, and, and two of my friends and I, we, we kind of veered away from the campsite with everybody else, and we, we found this bridge, and somehow they kind of rallied me to go across it, and little by little, one at a time, we inched over this bridge, and, and actually I made it to the other side, and that was fine, until the boys showed up. <laughs> you know, sometimes when they come around, it just things just don't go well, because see, when boys... When they show up, they think, oh, a rope bridge, slimy swamp, I like this stuff, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see what we can do and make a game out of this, and the most important thing they end up thinking about is, how in the world are we going to scare all the girls with this thing, you know? And that is exactly what happened. Let me describe it for you. See, there was this boy, and his name was Bill. That's, well, not really, but that's what I'm going to call him tonight to protect his identity, because he's going to look pretty bad in this story, and he really was. He really was, but... Anyway, Bill got pretty aggressive with the whole bridge thing. See, he was a friend of mine. In fact, a week before this, he had been my boyfriend. But 
I had decided I didn't want to be Bill's girlfriend anymore. And let's just say that during this whole bridge incident, I found out that Bill wasn't very happy about that. Now, I know that we have some younger girls here tonight in your teens, and you know, I, I just want to say this aside from this story. Let this be a lesson to you that until you're mature enough, both of you, to handle a relationship, it's really not a good idea. And you're going to see from this story exactly what I mean about that. Long story short, the only way back across, or the only way back to our camp was for us to come back across that swamp. And for us to do that, that meant we had to get on that bridge again with all the boys around. Well, both of my friends went on ahead of me, and actually they were both gymnasts, and even though the boys were being a little silly and, you know, shaking it, because the thing had a little bit of play in it, it everything went fine, you know, they just did fine, but I was the last one. <laughs> and, and I had to come across that bridge too. And I was determined I'm going to get onto the other side, so I just kind of, you know, got all right, and I got up on that thing, and Bill saw me on it, and I could see him across on the other side, and he started to shake it a little bit. And then he realized that the tree that it was connected to over there was really, really loose in the roots. So he started shaking the thing really hard. And I mean, remember what's underneath me, the slimy swamp with all the stuff on the top, that, you know, that thick. And I just start flailing all around, and I said, Bill, stop! You know, I just started to panic. Well, whatever goes on in a 16-year-old male mind, it sounded to him like I was saying, shake it some more, Bill, shake it some more, because that's exactly what he did. And he just got crazy with the whole thing. And I was literally crying and flailing, and I felt like I was going down and looking at the swamp that was going to be my destiny, you know. And I'm just going and going and going, and I'm just crying. And then by then, all the kids in our youth group were yelling at him, Bill, stop, stop. But he's just shaking away, and I'm just going and just knowing that I'm going to drop in. About the time that I fell halfway into this swamp, holding on for dear life, our youth pastor came running up and pulled Bill, who was crazy by the time, off, and I mean, let him have it. I'm heard, I've heard that our youth pastor actually cursed at him, but I don't really know that for sure. But that's what somebody told me. I mean, that's how crazy this situation was. And thankfully, some nice young man in a canoe came and picked me up before I just, you know, sunk under all the slimy mess. But that is really what happened to me, and that, that's a scary thing, and I said, I will never get on a bridge of any kind again after that. But I've learned some things since then. And this is what I've learned, ladies. I've learned that Jesus is the bridge in my life for anything in this world that I need to cross over. And the Bible actually calls him the way, the truth, and the life. And sometimes... And this won't be news to many of you. Sometimes the things that he calls me to cross are quite scary. But I know that my feet can be steady on him. He's not like some rope bridge that flails all over the place. He is a sure and steady bridge for me. Now I want to ask you, what about you? Do you ever hear the Lord speaking to you, saying things like, Cross over that unforgiveness in your heart. Cross over that unbelief, that anger, that indulgence, that self-focus, that pretending, that unholy lifestyle, that materialism, the hurt, the fear, the lack of discipline, the busy schedule, the disappointment, the rejection, all those things. Do you ever hear him saying that stuff to you? Do you ever hear him saying, get up out of your mediocre lifestyle and cross over all this junk in your life with me? See, most people in the world live over here in mediocrity somewhere. Even many Christians. 
All kinds of stuff just tends to want to separate us from God's best for us. But do you ever wonder, what if? What if I crossed over all that stuff? What if I crossed over even just one thing? Maybe you've been at church one morning and you just start to feel the need for that. Or maybe in your own quiet time with God, you, you start thinking about it and think, wow, I wonder what it would be like over there. Or maybe you've been at something like this, some kind of women's conference or women's BBS, and, and your, your eyes are open to it. You've considered it. Or you know what? Maybe you don't even really have much spiritual influence going on in your life, but deep in your gut, you know there is something more purposeful to life than the way you're living. What do you do with those considerations? What do you do with those? Those eye-opening times, those moments where things just stop and you think something's got to be different here. See, it's so easy to dream about what if, but then get back to just the mediocre way you're living, settle into the bland lifestyle, things having to be that way, all that stuff that you heard earlier when those four women stood up here in the bland clothes and just, you know? But what if, what, what if, ladies, what if? Last fall, I read a documentary on our country called Just How Spiritual Are We? And this is one of the things it said. It said, our survey reveals a nation looking heavenward, but with its feet firmly planted on the ground of modern life. In other words, many of us say we believe. And we even do some things that indicate that we do. But for the most part, the way we live is much more established in our culture than it is in our Christianity. But ladies, I want to tell you something. God's word is very clear. He has more for us than that. And because that is true, what we're going to do here tonight is bring a question to the middle of the room. I mean, we're just going to throw it out there front and center to where nobody in this room can ignore this question. And the question is, what if? Specifically, what if I cross over? Perhaps you remember the story of the Israelites who found themselves asking that question as well. Let me review a little bit for you. God's people had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years, and God used Moses to rescue them. And so they left Egypt, over one million people, ready to journey with God over to the Promised Land. But soon, they found themselves standing on the edge of the Red Sea. And that sea was separating them from where God wanted to take them. And not only that, most of you know, they, they soon realized that the Egyptians had changed their mind. And they were coming after them. But you know what God did? He sent a mighty wind and swept the, the sides of the sea back to create a dry land, a bridge for them to cross over into the moor on the other side. And there they stood, right on the edge of that shore trying to decide, am I going to go, am I not? Am I going to go, am I not? Do I stay here? What would happen if I got over there? Would it be better just to stay over here? What if they catch us anyway? And then if we're running, they're going to make it worse for us? Or, what, you know, at least we have food and water over there. We don't know what it's like over there. And all these questions were running through their minds. Where would this lead? In fact, I know that many of you brought your Bibles with me, and I would encourage you to turn with me to Exodus, second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. And while you're turning there, let me just say this. This week, I hope you bring your Bibles. This is Vacation Bible School, so we would bring our Bibles, okay? 
And if you don't have one, let us know that you don't have one. We, we will get you a Bible. But if you don't have one tonight, ladies, be very kind to the people around you and just share with them. But let me tell you this too. I am going to be teaching out of the New American Standard. But I still encourage you, no matter what version you have, get your Bible open. Use it. Get your hands in it. Get used to using this thing. And most of you are. I know you are. But let's use this this week at Vacation Bible School. Many of the scriptures that I'll be using will be projected up here on the screen. Some won't because the Lord will give me some new ones that I hadn't planned on using and that'll be good too. But let's, let's look in here together at Exodus 14, 11 and 12. And this is what they were saying right as they stood on the edge of that shore. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, Leave us alone? that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, I don't know if you hear it or not. <laughs> that is a mediocre tone, full-blown mediocrity. They would rather just settle over here than even think about what might be over here. But you know what Moses did? He stood right up in the middle of them, and he challenged them, and he said, if you will believe, you will see the salvation of the Lord. And you know what? They followed him, and they did, and God did bring a salvation. They walked over on the dry ground, and God destroyed the Egyptian enemies. Praise the Lord. That's what he does. And you know what? When they got to the other side, Moses, this leader, because I'm sure, you know, his heart was probably shaking too, like, God, you really said you're going to do this. Come on, come on. I just told all these people, you know. And so he gets over there, and he is just like in jubilant song and just singing this amazing song in Exodus 15. And in fact, Exodus 15, 13 is the scripture that is our theme scripture for VBS this week. And it says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Notice Moses doesn't say, you led the people you redeemed. He's speaking in the future tense. And you know why that is? It's because Moses is aware that that's just the first one. <laughs> they still got a lot more crossings that they're going to have to, have to uh, do. And ladies, God will lead us over anything if we will just get up out of the mediocrity and go with him. So let me just bring this to a practical point here because most of us are not going to find ourselves standing on the edge of the Red Sea with God billowing up the sides so we can cross over. But I want you to know, we are connected to that story in amazing ways. See, many of the things that happen in the Old Testament are considered to be pictures of our life with Christ. It's just one more way that God masterfully has woven this word together. I love when I find those things that are a picture of my life in Christ, and yet they were written, you know, a thousand years before, and they happened, and yet God is weaving all of this together. In fact, many consider the crossing through the Red Sea to be a picture of our salvation. Let me, let me explain it for you. It's like this. The Bible says we are separated from God because of our sin. And we're all sinners. Sin creates this huge gap between us and a holy God. Think of it like this in terms of this story that we just started talking about. Egypt is considered to be a picture or a symbol of our slavery and sin. And the promised land is considered to be a picture or a symbol of our eternal life. Now, if we don't know Christ, we're stuck over here on this side in Egypt, in sin, 
God is not alive in us. We're alive physically, but we're not really having a life because we're dead in our sin. We're slaves to sin, just like the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. If we could just get over there somehow, can we not go over there some way and have the life of God in us? But it's impossible because just like the Israelites stood on the edge of the Red Sea and there's no way they're going to get over there, there's this sea of sin that separates us from God. How can we get over there? Our sin has created this big gap. How can anyone get from death over here to life? And ladies, many of you already know this, but every one of us, every person ever born on the face of this earth faces that issue of being separated from God. We all need someone to save us from that fate. But if everyone's a sinner, who could do that? Nobody could except one man. And actually, he's not a man. In fact, it's one of those deep mysteries that one day I think we'll understand. But Jesus came to earth fully man and yet fully God at the same time. And he became our savior. He's the only one that could become our savior. In fact, the Bible says he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become his righteousness. See, when Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross and died for every person on the face of the earth, he created a bridge, a bridge. He came over to us, but he made a way for us to get to him. He took on our sin, and he gave us a way to get over here into life. Think of it like this. God took a land completely covered in water, and he made it dry through his power so the Israelites could cross over. And God took a life completely covered in sin, and through the power of the resurrection, he made it pure so that I can cross over and know life. And you know what? It isn't just for me, it's for every single person. Everybody has the chance to cross from death and sin to actually having the life of God in you, having the life of Christ. So the Israelites crossing over the Red Sea really represents our salvation, and we need to grab a hold of that. I imagine that many of you in this room have already crossed over from death to life. You already know Jesus as your Savior, and I'm just going to be incredibly blunt with you if you don't I hope that this week you will know that I hope that will be your crossing that you will come into a saving relationship with Jesus but let's make sure we also all understand this as well when the Israelites crossed over to the other side you know where they were they weren't in the promised land they were in the wilderness they hadn't gotten to the promised land yet just like you and I have not yet arrived into heaven there were still many, many, many things that God was going to call them to cross over before they ever got to the promised land. And all of these crossings were going to take a lot of faith. And you know what? If you read through the Old Testament, every time they believed God and they crossed over in that faith, they always found more on the other side. But understand this as well. Not every one of them chose to continue crossing. In fact, many of them said no. I'd rather just settle with what I got right here. I'm making do. It's all right. And they ended up suffering and dying in the wilderness because they wouldn't let God lead them. And ladies, the same is true for us. Grab a hold of this. Don't miss this. Even after you begin your new life in Christ, there are many, many things to cross over on our way to the promised land, on our way to heaven. Every one of us has things that continue to challenge us, to try to push us away from God's best. 
And many believers who know Jesus and who Jesus lives within them get stuck over here on this side of mediocrity while they're in the world, but they don't have to. Ladies, we don't have to. I'm going to be using the word mediocrity a lot this week, and I, I want to just really throw it out there front and center what I mean. And a lot of you got those crossing guides, and I would encourage you to, you know, just take some notes, and, and God will refer you back to these things many times again. Do you have enough light out there to be able to see in your Bibles and, and, and write and do those kind of things? You know, when something is mediocre, it's average. It just blends right in. So when I say that word mediocrity this week, what I'm referring to is just blending right on in, you know? Living just like the world lives. Thinking just like the world thinks. And behaving just like the world behaves. When God sent his son Jesus to build a bridge for you, I can tell you for sure and certain, mediocrity was not his intent. In fact, the Bible says he came to give us life and life abundantly. And that word life is the word Z-O-E. When it was originally written, that was the Greek word that was used, and that word means the life of God. He put the life of God in us when we crossed over into life. Our spirit became alive again with him. And he wants that to live as full and as rich in our lives as it possibly can. That doesn't sound anything like mediocrity. And you know what, ladies? Jesus actually lived in this same world that we live in. And the Bible says that he had more temptation than any of us will ever know. Whatever you're dealing with, he dealt with that and more. And he lived differently. And that same spirit lives within you. And you can live in more as well. You do not have to settle for mediocrity. He led the Israelites. He will lead us to. His word is very clear about that. And this week what we're going to be doing is looking at some real life examples of Jesus actually leading his people. And I want to ask you to turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is really one story. And it's all about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus actually died. He was in the grave for four days. And Jesus ended up rising him, raising him from the dead. But within that whole chapter, even though that's the main story, don't you know every good story has a lot of little stories going on within it. And there are five stories really within there. There's a story about Martha. There's a story about Mary. There's a story about the, uh, the disciples. There's a story about the Jews and, of course, Lazarus as well. And many of you who visit our website or you're on our mailing list, you got an email or you saw that we said, before you come to VBS, read John 11 and 12. And so I hope you've done that. And if you haven't, I would encourage you, go home and read it tonight because these teaching times will be much richer for you if you take the time to actually do that. But bottom line is we want you to grab a hold of these real-life events. Sure, we're going to call them stories, but don't miss this, ladies. These things really happened. We're going to see people just like you and me come to the edge of real-life situations that could easily keep them away from God's more. And they each had a choice of what they were going to do when Jesus called them to cross over. He is our bridge, and we get to make a choice too. And my prayer for you tonight is this. That all night as we teach this, and we're not going to be here all night, I don't really need that. But as we go through this, that you're going to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear, what if, what if, all night long, ask 
asking you to dream with me. I've got dreams beyond what you can imagine. What if? What if? All night. Ladies, let's pray together. God. God. Mm, mm. Speak to us. Let your word be alive and real tonight to every woman in this room. Lord, may our ears be attentive. You say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God, would we hear you tonight? Would we hear you, Lord? Would you speak to us? Would you cause us to dream with you as we look at your word and consider what if? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's get to John 11. And we're going to read the first five verses there. Okay. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Some of you may be familiar with uh, Mary and Martha. They're two sisters that kind of show up in different places in the Gospels. Their major story that most people know about is one time when they were fixing dinner for Jesus. And uh, really, only Martha was fixing dinner. She wished that Mary was fixing dinner with her. But uh, Mary was sitting in the other room talking to Jesus. And Martha didn't like that very much. And so she just basically went in the room and just blasted Mary right in front of Jesus, you know. She kind of liked to be in control is the kind of feeling we get about her. And uh, if you compare her and Mary together, Mary kind of seems to be a little bit more of the deep, uh, introspective kind of feeling one. But, you know, some people actually call Martha the Martha Stewart of Bible times because <laughs> she likes to just have it all, you know, just so. But in these verses that we just read, we also see some other things about them. We see that, you know, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus have a pretty loving relationship with Jesus. I mean, you know, they're in his inner circle. They know him well. And so Lazarus gets sick. These verses tell us. So Mary and Martha send Jesus a note and say, please, you know, come and heal him. In fact, I can imagine Martha was already thinking about the celebration dinner she might have. You know, when, when, when Jesus healed Lazarus, and she probably had already made a list for Mary, lest she get distracted or, you know, anything like that. But if you read this at home and you got to verse 6, you realize that Jesus, uh, once he got the message, he didn't go right away. Even though he could have. I mean, it was only two miles walk. But he didn't go right away. He decided to wait. And in verses 14 and 17, we actually find that by the time Jesus ever got there, Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. So, I mean, it took Jesus quite a while. And many of the Jews had already come around. Now, this was probably one of the biggest challenges for Mary and Martha that they had ever faced. Their brother had just died. And on top of that, they were angry and they were hurt that Jesus had not come and healed them because they knew that he could. They had seen him do it for other people. But Jesus did go. He, he had a plan of his own. And when he got there, let's look at, let's zero in on Martha for a minute and look at how she received him. Let's read verses 20 through 22. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God is going to give you. Now, to me, Martha seems like the picture of control here. <laughs> She's either trying to tell Jesus what to do. Okay, my first plan did not work, but I know that you can do this. 
or she just doesn't really seem to be feeling a lot of it, just seems to be in control. But see, Jesus has the answers here. This challenge of life that she is facing, her brother dying, I mean, that's a huge thing. And I know that there are women in this room who have probably recently dealt with the death of someone that you love deeply, or maybe it's imminent. You know it's coming soon. Death is hard. But Jesus looks at Mary and listen to what he says. He says, your brother shall rise again. This is verse 23. And Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Don't you just hate it when people say, I already know that. <laughs> you know, I told somebody in my family recently, please remove these two words from your vocabulary. I know. <laughs> because you don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it sounds to me, but we think we know, don't we? And we say it too. We all could really remove that from our, from our uh, conversation. But Martha basically said, I already know all that. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't stop. He's so good. He continues to show her what's on the other side the answers, the promises, the truth. Listen to what he says in verses 25 and 26. 26. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live, even if he dies. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, ladies, he's basically saying to Martha, what if you crossed over and really believed in who I am? You don't know all the answers, Martha. You're going to find a whole lot more if you'll cross over. See, Martha has a choice here in front of her. It seems from what we know, and poor Martha, poor soul, we're probably labeling her wrong, but you know, this is all the information we get one day in heaven, we can ask some more. But it seems that she likes to be in control, that she's used to that. She's lived that way for so long, she's comfortable in knowing everything, having an answer for everything, but Jesus is saying something new to her, something she doesn't fully get, fully doesn't understand, fully can't control. And he's saying, what if you crossed over this challenge of death? What if you got up out of the mediocrity that you're in and really trusted me? Even though this is so hard, it doesn't have to separate you from what I have for you. Jesus met Martha where she was. So that's Martha's story. But where was Mary during all of this? <laughs> Did you read in verse 20? When Martha went out to greet Jesus, Mary still sat in the house. <laughs> Now, why was she in the house? Here's what I think. I think Mary, being the deep, introspective, feeling one, was pretty hurt that Jesus didn't show up. How in the world could he have let Lazarus die when he could have prevented him? You know, I'm just surmising here, but from the little bit we know about Mary, I think she probably had some real hurts in her life. We hear several stories about her, but her parents are never mentioned. I wonder what happened to them. She's a young woman, but she's not married. Her sister treats her unkindly. Her brother has now died. And now on top of it all, this person that she was starting to trust in has deeply disappointed and hurt her. You know, sometimes when we're hurt, we really struggle. And Mary was no exception. For all Mary knew, Jesus had just ignored them. I mean, it was only two miles he could have come and gone back if he really had something that was so important back where he was. <laughs> Ever been there before? Somebody hurts you, somebody disappoints you, somebody offends you. So what do you do? You withdraw. <laughs> Let them make the first move. I'm sitting here in the house. I'm not going out there. If he wants to talk to me, he can come find me. He can text me. He can call my cell phone or send me an email. <laughs> yeah, that's where she was in her heart, ladies. 
And so here she is, all these deep hurts. And now her brother has died. And her good friend has deeply disappointed her. But Jesus knew what was going on in her heart. And I love that about him. He knew that he had what she needed. And he doesn't just blow her off. He could have just said, so what? I got things to do here. I came to raise a man from the dead. If she can't come, let her be. But that's not the kind of Jesus we serve, ladies. You know what he did? He told Martha to go and get her. And you know how we know that? If you look in verse 28, read it with me. This is after Martha replies to Jesus what he had said. And we'll come back to that later this week. But it says, and when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. See, you know, have you ever been upset maybe with your husband or a friend and you want them to come so bad, but they don't? You know what? Jesus did. <laughs> and that's the kind of Jesus we serve. He came and he called for her. And for what, what I read through these chapters, I believe Jesus was posing that what if question to Mary. Mary, what if you got up out of all this hurt? You would find more in me than you could ever imagine. And I know some of you in this room tonight have some real hurts. And you can identify here with Mary. See, I think she was so used to living in places of hurt, she didn't know any different. <laughs> But she had a choice to get up out of all that hurt and go to Jesus or just stay where she was, where she had been for so long. See, you know what, ladies? Hurt and pain is a place of mediocrity for a lot of people in this world. And it keeps them stuck over here, not experiencing the more that God has for us. But Jesus met Mary where she was, and he basically said, what if all that changed, Mary? And I think he's saying the same thing to a lot of people who started reading John 11 and are here tonight. What about the disciples, though? How do they play into all this? If you go back to the beginning of John chapter 11, when this whole, you know, Lazarus the sick story began, you see the storyline shifts to the disciples along at verse 6. Let me read verses 6 and 7 for you. It says, When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. See, it was an intentional thing. <laughs> then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, we need to remember this about the disciples. You know, when Jesus initially asked them to come and follow him, that's what he said. Hey, follow me. <laughs> and basically, that's what they'd been doing, following him around for a long time. They'd seen all kinds of stuff happen. He'd healed people. He'd done miracles. They'd learned and grown from him. But when we get to verse 8, we see the disciples resist following him this time. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? In other words, are you crazy? <laughs> you're going to get hurt if you go there, and in truth, you're putting us in danger too. <laughs> and if you continue reading, you see that Jesus speaks to them, and he tries to reveal some things to them about himself, but they just don't get it. So finally, by the time he gets to verses 14 and 15, he just puts it about as blunt as he can. He says, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> And I'm glad for your sakes that he is, that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. In other words, hey guys, got it all under control. I set this whole thing up so I can help you cross over into something more. In fact, if you go back to verse 4, you see it there. Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. I just got to read verse 16. I can't let this go. It so reveals what's going on in one of the hearts, maybe several of them. He was just the one that said it. But read verse 16 with me. 
says, Thomas, therefore, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so we can die with him. In other words, have you ever done something and you don't want to do it, but you do it because you know you're supposed to, but under your breath you're going, sure, let's go on, we'll all just die. You know? And that's what he was like. He had that negative attitude and it comes out here again. In other words, this is absolutely crazy to keep following this man around. We're headed into a bunch of trouble. Doesn't anybody see this? Ever been that person? You're like, come on, look at what's going on in front of us here. But see, Jesus knows different. <laughs> in fact, this whole interchange with his disciples is full of a what-if question to me. See, basically, they were afraid for their safety. <laughs> By all appearances, it was not safe to go with Jesus to Bethany. They would be much better off. Any smart person would just stay put right where they were. <laughs> but Jesus met them where they were, and he basically said to them, we got to move on from just following me around. You need to see who I am. And it's going to make all the difference for you. See, I think he was saying to them, what if you crossed over from your fear to a faith-filled surrender in me? Now, we got one more we got to look at. Stay with me. we got the Jews, okay? If you read through the Gospels, you see the Jews all over the place. They keep, you know, there are, a lot of them are hostile to Jesus. They're questioning him. They're antagonistic to him. A lot of them just didn't know what to do with Jesus. It was something new. He was somebody new, and, and they didn't understand him. Theirs was a very strict society and a religion based upon the law of God. Problem was, they had taken this simple law that God had given them and turned it into this burden that nobody could bear. And, and the leaders... They weren't really living it either, but they were just kind of projecting it on everybody else and trying to puff themselves up in pride. And Jesus met them right where they were. You know what? If he had come and healed Lazarus when Mary and Martha had sent for him to do it, most of the Jews wouldn't have been around yet. But he waited. And you know what Jews do? You know what people do? When someone dies, everybody comes to console. So then he gets there and they're all there. And listen to what he prays in verse 41 and 42 of chapter 11. This is right when he's there at the grave getting ready to raise Lazarus. He says, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me. And I know that thou hearest me always. But because of all the people standing around, I said it. That they may believe that thou didst send me. See, Jesus knew these People's belief system was so warped and twisted. It was separating them from God. And many people, many of these Jews were standing on the edge and he could see in their hearts. And he knew they were looking right at him and thinking, who is this man? What is it about him that makes me keep wanting to think about him and wonder who he is? And so he just wanted to throw it out right in front of them and just, just let them know this is who I am. He basically is praying, Lord, what if all these people would believe in me? I want to draw them to myself. And they had a choice to respond to the power of God that they are going to clearly see here and cross over into more or just stay stuck in their own mediocrity. Jesus was saying to these Jews, what if you crossed over from that law to true belief? I could take you into so much more. Now, there is also the story of Lazarus, and we're going to get there more tomorrow night, because his is a whole crossing over story in and of itself. But let's get the picture here. Jesus stepped into the everyday challenges of these people. He met them where they were. He whispered. He prayed. He called out to them. He spoke. He wanted to get their attention and basically say, what if? Martha, Martha, what if you crossed over from being a control freak? 
to trusting me as the son of God who could do more than you could ever even think about putting on your list today. Mary, what if you crossed over from all your hurts to worshiping me as the God who created you for more? Disciples, what if you crossed over from just following me around with your eyes on the world to really seeing who I am, that I rule the heavens and the earth and everything in between, and we can do all kinds of stuff if you'll just follow and believe me too? And Jews, what if you crossed over from being burdened by man's law and religion to believing in me and allowing me to show you the more of my father's plan that he had for you when he created you as a nation long ago? What if? Jesus said, what if you crossed over to more with me? And you know what I find very interesting? Martha and Mary actually thought Jesus had forgotten them. He hadn't forgotten them at all. He just had a plan to bring them into more. And ladies, he hasn't forgotten any of us either. And you might feel like he has forgotten you, but he hasn't. He has a plan and he sets things up in our lives, even though many times we don't understand. Maybe you're like Martha. Maybe you're a control type. Always got to have a plan. Always got to have an answer. You're always composed. You live as if you have life and God all figured out. In fact, sometimes you even tell God what to do. <laughs> but it keeps you stuck in mediocrity. And it never lets you get over into the more. Or maybe you're like Mary. You got so many burdens and hurts. And when Jesus calls you to more, sometimes you won't even go out and talk to him. Because you're so focused on your pain. Ladies, the world lives in pain. Jesus has more for the people that he is indwelling. Maybe you are like the disciples. You've chosen to follow Jesus, but there is a limit to what you will do. <laughs> Just like the world, it's got to all make sense before you're going to step out in any kind of faith, which that isn't really faith anyway, <laughs> but that's the way you think. Or maybe you'll do it, but you're going to complain and whine the whole time, just like Thomas. <laughs> or maybe you're like the Jews. You know, you're a rule follower. There really isn't any room for believing God any much beyond your traditions and your, your little ways that you do this and your rule book and what you already know. Or maybe you're even like Lazarus. You're stuck in death, the death of your own sin. See, remember, mediocrity is just the average way that people respond. And maybe... Maybe mediocrity doesn't look like any of that on you. But it's still mediocrity just the same, whatever it is that you find yourself stuck in. One area of mediocrity that I have found in our culture that is especially challenging is that of building walls around our hearts to where we just won't let people in, you know? And it's so easy to get used to living that way, isn't it? It's even widely accepted. For whatever reason, we choose not to forgive, we choose not to embrace. Even as Christian women, we fall into that all the time. We settle into that kind of living when God created us for sisterhood and, and so much more in fellowship. I saw something on the back of a magazine recently that really challenged that kind of mediocrity in me. Maybe you've seen it yourself, you know, on the back of a Bon Appetit magazine or some cooking magazine. There's a question that they'll put on the back of those things sometimes. And it's something like this. If you could invite anyone for dinner, who would you invite? <laughs> you know, what five people would you invite for dinner if you could invite anybody? Who would be the first five? <laughs> See, the list is usually interesting. Spectacular people, 
life-changing, inspiring people. Against all odds, full of wisdom, truth, and insight. Remarkable people. Einstein, Mother Teresa, Oprah. <laughs> uh, you know, people like Billy Graham or Martin Luther King Jr., Beth Moore, Elvis Presley. <laughs> you know, you'd like to have dinner with him. But see, an evening with someone like that could open up your mind, touch your heart, teach your soul. At least that's what we would hope. But I want to ask you, what if we asked a different kind of question? What if we entertained a radical and different approach to dinner parties? What five people do you not want to have dinner with? <laughs> Who do you not want to spend an evening with? In fact, if they were the last five people on the planet, you still wouldn't want them to come for dinner. Now, what if we all crossed over and those five people became the first five people on your list. Is there a place for me at your table? Is there a bowl, a spoon, a fork, a knife? Is there a place for me at your table? Because I'm white, I'm black, I'm sick, I'm poor, I don't speak your language. I'm young, I'm old, fat, I'm skinny. I am hungry and tired and thirsty. Is there a place for me at your table? You are that person. I've seen your crimes, your violence, your face on TV and in the newspapers. What you did to that child. What kind of a person could do such a thing? I don't know you. I don't want to know you. In fact, I would rather see you go hungry than feed you. You are not invited to my table. Is there a place for me at your table? Is there a bowl, a spoon, a fork, a knife? You say that because of the color of my skin, I can never understand. I can never comprehend your experience. <laughs> I'm incapable because of my history, because of my background. No matter what I do for you, it's just not enough in your mind. You know, I don't get it. I am not responsible for what happened a lifetime ago. I wasn't there. I'm not like you. I'm different. I make you mad. I make you sad. I might make you laugh. But you don't like me. Am I invited? You don't say anything. You don't do anything. You give me nothing. If you came to dinner, there wouldn't be any laughter, no words, no tears, nothing. Well, you know what? There wouldn't be any food either, because I'm not bringing any. <laughs> I am not going to spend the time at the stove dicing vegetables and making bread. Why won't you answer me? 
do you make me feel so guilty? You know, I didn't mean to hurt you. You hurt me much more now by your nothingness. You're not invited. Is there a bowl, a spoon, a fork, a knife? Is there a place for me at your table? You're prettier than me. You're smarter than me. You're better than me. I'll never look like you. You're thinner than me, too. You know, you throw a much better dinner party than I ever will anyway. And that pound cake you make, it's always been more delicious than mine. I shrink. I disappear. When you are around, I can't see me because you're always bigger and brighter and smarter and prettier and thinner than me. I, I just don't have room for you here. You're scared. You're scared that I'll burp. That I'll say it. I'll say that thing that we're not supposed to say at the dinner table. The elephant in the middle of the room, that big, fat, pink elephant. It's sitting in the middle of the dinner table. It's sitting on my plate. It's in the flowers. You lied to me. You made promises to me that you broke. Promises in the name of love and trust and hope and futures. You, you broke them. You broke all those promises. You broke me like an empty bowl on a tile floor. I was broken. You broke me. How can I invite you to this table? You know, I am not going to feed you. I wouldn't give you a glass of water. I don't care how thirsty you are. Go get your own rice. I don't want to feed you. I'm not going to do it. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want your food. I don't want your pity, your hospitality, your kindness. I want your friendship. Can I have that? For dinner, can you sit for an appetizer? Can you listen to me? Can you forgive me? I didn't think so. What? Did you say something? How can I invite you to this table? Is there a place for me? How can I forgive you? Is there a place for me? Is there a place for me? How can I feed you? My heart is not big enough. My love is not wide or deep enough. <laughs> is there a place for me? To forgive you? A bowl? To love you? A spoon? To feed you? A fork? But you can come. RSVP, please. Is there a place for me? I hope you don't come at your table, but in case you come, a place, there's a place, a bowl, a spoon, a fork for me.
a place of praise. Oh, the days when I drew lines around my faith to keep you out, to keep me in, to keep it safe. And oh, the sense of my own self-entitlement to say who's wrong, who won't belong, who cannot stay. Cause somebody somewhere decided we'd be better off divided. But somehow, despite the damage done, he says, come. What would happen in our world if we took this radical approach to a dinner party, or to life for that matter. If we embrace that person that's just so hard to love or hard to forgive. You know, love's not really love when it's returned. We would all be in trouble if that were true. No, love is really alive and kicking when it's not that. When it's an invitation to the table when you don't deserve the honor. When you're not expected to bring a hostess gift or a dessert. No, you just, you come as you are, who you are. You are welcome. Oh, I want to love as wildly and senselessly as Jesus did. Until I do, I may never understand what he's trying to teach me about love, about forgiveness, about Invitations. There is room enough for all of us. Please come. And the arms are open wide enough. Please come. And our parts are never greater than this song. This is the heart of the one who stands before and open. And bids us come. Come from the best of humanity. Come from the depths of depravity. Come now and see how we. isn't it? 
certainly makes you think. See, we have to allow Jesus to ask us the hard questions. To ask us the question, what if? What kind of more could be around the table of my life, of your life, if I just dreamed with God and was willing to cross over and live his way instead of the mediocre way of hate and apathy and jealousy and unforgiveness and pride and competition and all that stuff that's heaped up over there in that place of mediocrity. See, I might not stand on the edge of the Red Sea asking what if, and I might not stand at the tomb of my brother seeing Jesus, what if you raised him from the dead? But I sit at my table every day and don't allow people in my life. I allow selfishness to rule my actions. And I act just like the world does. Or I settle into laziness or apathy or materialism or any other kind of mediocrity just like the world. And I end up looking just like them, even though Jesus lives within me. But here's the good news, ladies. And you know this, and I just want to remind you of it. In Christ, you don't have to stay there. I can cross over. You can cross over. We all can cross over into more. He will lead the people he has redeemed. Amen? Amen. You know what? We just need a rally party to get us up out of our mediocrity. Fifteen years ago, God began a rally party in me. I found myself stuck over here in places of mediocrity. Oh, I'd heard about the abundant life. I even had a t-shirt that had that scripture on it. But I was stuck. But you know what? Jesus came into my world, and he began to speak to me through his word, word in a way that he never had before. Or maybe it was just that I finally started to listen. I think it's probably more like that. And he began to ask me things like, what if you got up out of the despair that you live in every day and moved on over into hope, Sharon? What if you crossed over into really believing me as the God of the universe who also lives within you? What if you crossed over into really valuing my word every single day? What if you crossed over and you saw people the way that I see them, including yourself? And that was a big one. What if you crossed over out of some of the unholy, carnal ways that you're living and started making some righteous choices instead and stopped making all these excuses all the time? What kind of more could I bring into your life if you really allowed me to speak to you and really allowed me to lead you? And ladies, that was 15 years ago, and I have to tell you, I am so glad I listened. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. Because I discovered it doesn't matter what the challenge is. And as long as I'm alive, things are going to continue to come into my life. Sometimes big things. And I know some of you in this room are dealing with big things, maybe more than one big thing. But we all have the big things at times. I've had mine. We have the little things, sometimes 20 times a day, that want to pull us away from what God wants us to know and live and walk in. We all have a choice, just like Mary, just like Martha, just like the disciples, just like the Jews. We all have a choice, a choice to listen and let him lead us over, or a choice to just stay right where we are. Christ is the bridge in our life. I told you how he met me 15 years ago. Well, this year, as God really started to show me some brokenness among women right here in our community, he asked me, Sharon, what if you got up out of your comfort zones 
and stop talking about ministering to people and really start reaching out into some of these dark places. As I struggled with some health and weight issues in my life, he's, he started to ask me, what if you really started taking care of this temple that I gave you? As I was challenged with this ministry that's growing, you know, and I don't know how to do any of this. If you haven't figured it out yet, I don't know what I'm doing, okay? But you know what? He said, what if you started being a bolder leader? What if? What if? He's always asking that question, and I want him to ask it tonight. I pray he's asking it tonight. I hope it's resonating in your heart. I want it to resonate in mine. Every day we need him to ask us that question to move us on over into the more because we are so prone to just go over here and settle. As a ministry, our main goal is to get women in the word because we know that's where he's going to speak to you. So you can't come up with your own ideas of what you want to cross over. <laughs> he's got to call you over. And he'll speak to you in his word with that. That's how he leads us. Remember that theme verse. It says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Say that with me. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. And I believe he will. And I hope you do too. See, I believe he's brought us all this here this week, tonight, to ask you that question. There's so much stuff in our lives he wants us to cross over. And he not only leads the way, he is the way, first for our salvation, and then for abundant life in him. And maybe tonight, you've heard him calling you, and you find yourself standing right on the edge of that mediocrity, wanting to move on. What if you really did? What if? I heard it put this way recently. What and if are two words that are about as non-threatening as words come by themselves. But you put them side by side, and they have the power to haunt you for the rest of your life if you don't do something about them. The life of Christ within you, if you know him, is the bridge that will take you from here to here. And stepping up on that bridge is a place of faith. And I will be honest with you, it can seem a bit scary. It might even seem terrifying, maybe like a rope bridge over a swamp. <laughs> and you might even have an enemy on the other side shaking the tree it's connected to as hard as he can. But even in that kind of a situation, the word says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. We're going to sing a song in just a minute called Take My Life and Let It Be. And as we sing, I want to challenge you to dream. What if you really allowed God to take your life? What if you crossed over with him? Dream with God about the more he might bring into your life. Maybe it will be more peace, more provision, more discipline, more love, more joy, more productivity, more friends, more. Who knows what he could do? The Bible says how high, how wide, how vast. Is his love that surpasses knowledge for us. We, we can't even dream big enough. For some of you in this room, for some of you in this room, that what if question is the difference between life and death for you. Because it's what if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need a Savior if you don't know Jesus. But for some of us in this room, we already know Jesus. But we need to cross over out of the mediocrity that we have allowed to settle into our lives. He gave his life for you for more. Let him ask you what if. We're going to have some prayer counselors that are going to come to the front in the balconies and down here. And Lord, they're, ladies, they're there to just be sisters for you if you need someone to talk to. See, it's easy in our minds to go, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to do this with God. <laughs> 
But sometimes we got to get our bodies moving in the same direction. And, you know, sometimes we just got to get up and actually do something in the moment to really mean what it is we think we're saying in our hearts. And so I would encourage you, use this front of these places when we're singing this song to come. Use it as an altar if you want to do that. Use it to come and speak to one of these prayer counselors. If you want to receive Christ, they would love to talk you through that. We also have a prayer center out in our lobby that you can visit on the way in, on the way out, that you can be there and let somebody pray with you. We're sisters here together. We're having a rally party from Jesus. <laughs> Let's let it be that in our lives, ladies. Don't let this time go by without letting him ask you that what if question. What if you allowed him to take your life and let it be? Let's stand. Let's sing together. Let's make some decisions tonight. God bless you.